Hello, my name's Craig Barton and welcome to the Tips for Teachers podcast, the show that helps you supercharge your teaching one idea at a time. Each episode, I invite a guest from the wonderful world of education to share five tips for teachers to try both inside or maybe even outside of the classroom. With each tip, the challenge is always to ask yourself, what would I have to do or change to make this work for me, my situation and my students? Experimentation and frustration may follow, but hopefully something good will come out of it. Now, remember to check out our website, tipsforteachers.co.uk, where you'll find all the podcasts, as well as the links, resources, and audio transcription from each episode. But better than that, you'll also find a selection of video tips, some taken directly from the podcast and others recorded by me. Now, these videos could be used to spark discussion between colleagues at a departmental meeting, a Twilight Insight, or maybe even a Friday night movie night at home. Just before we get going, a quick word of thanks from our lovely sponsor. So this episode of the Tips for Teachers podcast is proudly supported once again by Arc Maths. I'm so grateful for Arc for supporting this podcast. Arc Maths is a fantastic app designed to help your students remember all the maths content at key stages three and four. It's built around research into how memory works, specifically Bjork's work on the power of retrieval practice and the spacing effect ensuring your students don't just practice what they've just studied, but are regularly exposed to the content they have encountered days, weeks, and months before. That's great for that retrieval and storage strength of their memories. Now, if you want to find out more, just search Arc Maths and mention my name. And remember, that's Arc with a C, not a K. Okay, back to the show. Let's get learning with today's guest, the wonderful Sammy Kempner. Now, a bit of background here. Uh, Sammy may not be quite the household name that some of my other guests are, but we need to change that. Um, I first became aware of Sammy's work when Adam Boxer was mentioning that he had a wonderful head of maths at his school. And then some of you may have listened to Ollie Lovell's interview with Sammy, which I've been on record as saying uh, the best podcast out of any podcast I listened to uh, in 2021. I had to get Sammy on the show and I'll tell you what, he did not disappoint. So spoiler alert, here are Sammy's five tips. Tip one, pick the student least likely to know. Tip two, when doing group work, make clear the group is responsible. And I'll tell you what, that group work discussion is unbelievable. Tip three, use the same questions with different numbers. Tip four, question, don't tell. And tip five, and I love this one, trick your students to test if they really understand. Now, if you look at the episode description on your podcast player or visit the episode page on tipsforteachers.co.uk, you'll see I've timestamped each of the tips so you can jump straight to anyone you want to listen to first. Or if you revisit this episode, you can go straight to any tip that you want to revisit. Remember, there are video versions of all these tips on tipsforteachers.co.uk. Uh, that adds a bit of spice to it, to the tips if you want to listen to them and watch them. But anyway, I'll shut up now. Enjoy the show. Okay, it gives me great pleasure to welcome Sammy Kempner to the Tips for Teachers podcast. Hello, Sammy. How are you? Yeah, I'm very good. Thanks, Craig. How are you? Very, very good, thank you. Right, Sammy, just uh, let listeners know who you are in a sentence, if that's all right. Yeah, I teach maths to children in London uh, between the ages of 11 uh, to 18. Fantastic. All right, Sammy, let's dive straight in. What's your first tip for us tonight? Pick the student least likely to know. 
Ooh. Now, I love like a clickbait headline. That's a great one. You've hooked me I've, straight I've in. I've tried there. to make them snappy. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Go, tell me more. Yeah, now watch me not be snappy when I explain it. So, um, <laughs> essentially, uh, like, you want to wear posture. So, my, my, my tips are broadly themed on, under uh, or grouped under the theme of accountability. And by that, uh, I mean not letting students get away with not thinking or trying. Mm. Um, so do it, putting uh, strategies in place to try to maximize the amount they're thinking and trying and the amount that they feel like you're holding them um, to that. So it might be that when you're cold calling, um, so picking students to answer questions without their hands up, uh, like you might want to pick, you, you want to pick your lower attaining students to use it as a gauge uh, to, to assess like the class's understanding when mini whiteboards or whatever whole class data isn't available. Um, so you pick your lowest attaining student, the student least likely to know the answer, to see like if they do know the answer, then there's a pretty good chance that everyone will know the answer. Um, it might be uh, when you're doing group work and you've told this class you're going to test them somehow afterwards, you're going to test the groups by giving them a similar question and you're going to pick someone to explain it. You pick the student least likely to know in that group um, to act as a gauge of whether or not the group's done a good job. Uh, it might be when you're circulating. Um, if you've only got time to, like you've got 20 seconds and you've asked them to write something down, you go and target the student least likely to like, be doing the right thing. Um, even check instructions, like you give really simple instructions, it's amazing how often the instructions are not understood or followed or listened to. And you give instructions and you want to just make sure, just make sure that even though you said it very clearly and you said it very slowly, they've understood the instructions, uh, you pick the one that's least likely to have understood. Um, so that's, that's it in a nutshell. I can talk in more detail about it. Um, and obviously like you can't literally always choose this one poor kid but um, as a general rule, uh, picking students, um, your lower attaining students or the ones that are less likely to be focused um, really like, forces them to, if they know that's going to happen, it'll force them to engage. And if the class know that anyone could be asked, um, but if I think that there's a chance they won't know that they're going to be asked, then it's a very powerful tool. Right, so let's dive into this. I love it. You, you've hooked me in straight away. So a couple of follow-up questions here. So I think there's a real danger. I've fallen into this trap before um, where you ask one child and they get it right and you assume that the whole class understands it so you just crack on. And it's your classic kind of argument why we need to do whole class assessment versus kind of one-to-one -one stuff. It almost sounds to me like this is the flip side of that where is there a danger you ask your lowest attaining student or the one who you suspect is going to get it wrong. They get it wrong and you kind of make an assumption there that everybody's going to struggle with this. So then you spend kind of five, 10 minutes doing it with the whole class. Whereas maybe like a, a quick conversation later on in the lesson may have solved it for that one child. Yeah, there's, there's always that danger. I think what, um, like, so things that I, if, if I, if I really was expecting everyone to know and that one student doesn't, I might do a quick chant um, or call and response to just quickly assess the whole class. And I'll check really carefully. Is everyone saying what I expected them to say? Or like, does it sound like everyone is? And if so, then I'll know that's that student's issue and therefore that we can, like, I might need to deal with that separately. Um, or it might be just going to a, one of your other least likely students to, like, who, who um, in the class, <clears throat> seeing if they know, and if they do, then you know it's just an individual problem. And if they don't, then, then maybe it's wider than that. And maybe at that point, you open up other strategies that you have, like, 
it might be a group conversation to like fit like if the knowledge is if you suspect the knowledge to be in the room or and then you go and cold call those ones that don't know afterwards um or it might be you have to do a quick um whole class checking for understanding but i would suggest though um or i would caveat that with saying if you can do whole class understanding then you should have done like that's always the rule if you can do whole class and um and it's easily accessible and the data that you can get from it is easy for you to interpret um so like the, the answers aren't really long sentences or whatever they're just they're easy to see then you should have done that in the first place and you shouldn't have been targeting the lowest attaining student um with a question you should have just been doing that so maybe that's not the best way of dealing with that but i think the first two options that i mentioned probably do a job yeah, it's really interesting. This I've, uh, this sounds like a big name drop here, Sammy, but I've, I've literally had a conversation with, with Dylan William earlier today about a similar thing here where it was a good name drop, that wasn't it? Um, about how I can't see a scenario where if it if you have the option to do whole class assessment, you would choose to cold call if that makes sense. Because to take to take your example here with this lowest attaining student, you could have in mind that you want to check the understanding of a specific student. But you might as well get every other child to either write their answer down on mini whiteboards or have thought of it and so on. Because you've still got that option to go to that student. But if you can also see responses from, you know, the other 25, you may pick up on something that you wouldn't have if you've only just gone to that one student. Is that fair? Or are there scenarios where you would deliberately choose to cold call and only get the response from one student that you're targeting? There probably are situations where it's good to call. I'm just trying to think of them. Um, but as a, in principle, I agree with you. I think that if you can get whole class data easily, then you should. Um, I think uh, what was I going to say on that? I had something. Um, it's gone from my head. What was I going to say? No, maybe we'll come back to it. Sure. Um, but yeah, no. In principle, I agree with you. Um, I think yeah, I remembered. If a student wants, um, if you're looking for an explanation, like a really detailed explanation, a strategy, whatever it may be, and we place quite, I try to place quite a lot of emphasis on that um, in maths lessons. It's not just what or and how, but why. Um, mm -hmm. And if you're if you're really focusing on that, then it's actually quite often the mini whiteboards aren't going to suffice. Um, and so, <clears throat> what's quite nice is when you're cold calling for an explanation, you pick the many students least likely to know the bottom third of the class let's say in terms of attainment or engagement or whatever it may be um and you start start off with so and so maybe your lowest attaining and you move on to the next one um the one least likely to be engaged and then you move on to the next one and, and over and you and it also by jumping between them in mid explanation it forces them to really engage with each other's um answers so it doesn't necessarily uh have to be just one student when you're doing this but as a general rule just focus on the ones that are going to actually be a useful gauge and not the ones that um, you know are going to, like the ones that you expect to be able to answer it. Can you give us an example, Sammy, of, of the kind of question where you, you choose to do that? One of these ones that's perhaps not yeah, as suited so, to mini whiteboards. So uh, we do, we're doing a, t uh, there's a question that came up today um, in actually a little topic test um, and I'm going to review it tomorrow. It was quite a complicated a shaded area shape, but the way the shape was like uh, an L um, compound shape. But then within it, there was a triangle, a funny angle, nice. which was attached to the sides and you were given the perimeter and you had to find the area of the shaded section. Um, anyway, like 
it's quite likely that in the um, review of that, like the students will be able to say the answer, they might be able to say the calculations they've needed to do to get there, but it's all about understanding that if you're given the perimeter and two of the side lengths the, um, of the L shape, then you can find the other two side lengths and the missing side lengths from the perimeter. And um, you have to think about the shaded area being the total area minus the unshaded area. And like, so all these kind of descriptive um, elements to the strategy that don't mention numbers um, are really good things to cold call students about um, rather than getting whole class data on many whiteboards because that's just not going to explain it. You're, you're not going to know whether or not they've understood it from that. Yes. So just, just again, just to dig really deep into this, I'm fascinated about this notion of jumping from student to student, maybe mid-explanation. So how would that start? What would be your kind of so opening, opening say, question? Okay, so um, why is this question difficult, please? Uh, I don't know, Mohammed. Mohammed will say, hopefully, um, let's assume the answer correctly. He'll say, okay, fair enough. So it's because we've got the perimeter. We don't know any parts of the area. We've got to somehow figure out some of the side lengths before we then find the area. Um, what's the first thing I'm going to do in order to do this? Please, you know, Oscar. And uh, Oscar's going to say, well, you need to find the total area, and then you're going to find, need to find the unshaded area, and you're going to have to subtract the unshaded from the total. Okay, okay, nice. Uh, what about this, ED? What do we think about this? Like what, and you just bounce from one to the next, and they've got to be really listening because they know at any point you might cut them off and bring someone else into it. Um, sometimes it is actually mid, uh, really, really jarringly, probably from their perspective, <laughs> mid sentence, because I know that they understand and they're confident and they're about to say the right thing. And it can be partly um, to check for understanding, but it can also be partly just to like hold attention, yes. just stopping them in the in that moment and saying, "You pick up exactly where they were going from, where they were, where they were going." Um, and obviously, you know, like you can you can you can go from there. Does that does that make it clearer? Yeah, it does. And is this still your kind of bottom third in terms of kind of attainers and, and the ones you uh, who you suspect aren't engaged or are you chucking this out to, to everybody yeah so like the in in general like the, the proportion of question of my questions that are aimed at the bottom third is massive um out of the questions i ask but i do you do still you can just obviously tailor the questions to challenge the highest attainers and that is equally important um it just doesn't need to be as frequent i think because they're more likely to be listening and focused and um i just well maybe maybe let's make it a value judgment maybe that's my maybe that's my sort of uh i don't know socialist roots coming through that i care more about bringing up the bottom than no i don't know i, I it's, it's right we have to challenge the highest attainers all the time it has to be on, at the forefront of your mind but i just think it's um, in your bread and butter of lessons, the way that you run your models and your questioning, it's more important to make sure that everyone is listening. And then when it's appropriate, you cold call and move for, um, amongst the highest attainers with some really challenging questions. So yes. it is still important and I still do it, but it's definitely the case that the lowest attaining students receive a greater uh, proportion of my questions to answer. That makes perfect sense, Sammy, because again, the worst question in the world that I could ask here is you could well imagine you've got a couple of high attainers in there who just think, oh, he's not going to ask me this. So I'll just, yeah. I'll just kind of sit off a little bit. But I guess that's more about the kind of culture that you create in, in the class and so on and so forth, that you're pretty confident that that's not a major, major problem. Yeah. And yeah, you, you're absolutely right. Um, you have to assess it as you see it. And part of it is gut and you just kind of, and, and obviously you can always just check. You can always just check by asking a question because it's your classroom and it's your lesson. You can do it how you want. 
Um, but also, yeah, just to like, just to emphasize the, uh, the questioning is the most, like most obvious way in which this applies. Um, but it definitely does also apply to just as a general rule that we've got a phrase at our school, which is don't lie to yourself. And we tell the kids that all the time. Um, but it also is words to live by as an adult. And, um, just, just in my normal life, I just walk around <laughs> thinking don't lie to myself implied to anything, but it's, um, you, it really is, it, uh, when I, before I did, um, cold calling for the first couple of years of my teaching, I don't, I didn't do this. And I definitely didn't ask the low, the people least likely yeah. to know, because if I had, it would absolutely ruin my lesson yes. because we just get, yeah. get stuck. We get stuck <laughs> every time the, from the first minute it's over. And uh, I think, I think um, like these <laughs> doing doing this, uh, it it can it's an ultimate don't lie to yourself in your teaching because it's very easy to convince yourself that like you've done a really good explanation, they've all been looking at you, you've insisted yes. on pens down. There's no way that they can't have followed this, and so you pick you know pick students that. You don't pick your best students, but you pick, you know, just 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 normal students in the class. Yeah. But I think you've got to be really honest with yourself if you're using questioning as a gauge um, for understanding of the class. Because many whiteboards aren't, aren't appropriate for whatever reason, then it's uh, yeah, it's a really good strategy for don't lie to yourself. I love that. Don't lie to yourself, Sammy. It reminds me. I'll never forget one of my early observations when I was observed right at the start of my career. I did exactly this. I asked a question and I picked a kid who I knew was going to get it right. So I was mid-flow and so on and so on. It was, it was coming towards the end of the lesson. This was the, almost like the big climax and I was being observed and so on. And the, the teacher observing me at the end congratulated me, said, good choice of student to ask that question to. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, it's the worst thing. You're absolutely right. It's the worst thing, but it's so tempting, isn't it? Because, you know, like, like you say, you want to think I'm doing a good job here and so on. Um, I'm interested just, just on this while, whilst we're chatting about this. I know from your conversation with Ollie that um, group work is something that plays a real kind of big, big part in, in your teaching. Now, we may be talking about this later on. Um, I, I don't know. But I just wanted to pick up on that you said you'd kind of ask the person in the group who you thought perhaps had not been listening to the instructions to kind of explain and so on. I wonder if you could just talk a little bit more about that because that, that interests me there. Is that more of kind of a behavior and an attention kind of thing? No, it's definitely um, for accountability within the group. If the group knows that, and like, maybe, you know, sometimes people say this. This could be quite harsh, and like, it's again context specific. In my in my classes, we have like a very honest culture and policy. And like, if students have got stuff wrong and they're talking about it in groups, then I, they know that I'm going to pick the ones that got it wrong to explain and that's fine because mistakes learn from them and it's all part of that little chant that we do and like it's it's all part of the error culture that's really important for learning and it's it's about being honest with each other and uh but the but knowing if they know if the groups know that you're going to pick the person least likely to know because they got it wrong it massively massively um alters their um uh their own expect their, their own um kind of attitude to the task and their own objectives within the task they're not so bothered about making sure they've understood all their stuff. They're thinking to themselves, I need to make sure my partners know all their mistakes because it's possible that Sir could ask us about any of the ones that they've got wrong and they're yes. going to ask that person specifically. So make it, and you communicating that to them before they do the task is, is really important. Um, and then actually doing it afterwards, again, even though it can be painful because you might have, and it's not, it's not a bit like, uh, occasionally it might be a behavioral thing and you might sort of, 
you might notice a group has not been on task and um, you save you save, you save your any kind of like disciplining or whatever until after you've stopped all yeah. the groups. And then you yeah. pick you pick the person you'd like to know and they can't do it. And you say, well, you know, I was watching. I was watching and I was listening and this didn't happen. And like, that's quite nice. Uh, it's a good thing to do, but it's not... Um, it's not the same accountability that I'm talking about now. It's not, but it's a good thing to do. I'm talking about the way that picking the the one leaf like to know, the impact that that has on the ones trying to do the right thing. I think it, it, yes. it incentivizes them in the right way to focus on the things that you want them to focus on, which is fixing mistakes. It's brilliant that, Sammy. I think, again, just to go back to your conversation with Ollie and what you've said there, I, the, thing, the thing that's made me... Reluctance probably the wrong word, but but certainly not to use group work to the extent that, that you do. I do a lot of paired work, but but not kind of you know groups of three and four. Is I never get the incentives or the accountability right. There's all it's always too easy to kind of free ride within the group. It's always too easy for one keen kid to dominate in the group. But it sounds to me that, that this this strategy and this tip that you're talking about here that that seems to kind of target that 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 seems to be the key to to, to getting this right. Yeah, that, like. It... I think it, it has a, a really, really big impact. Um, uh, the, my second tip is specifically to do with group work, and it comes, it ties in really nicely with this. Um, so uh, I don't that's know. A good say more about that's, that's a good teaser. Well, should right, we dive fine, into fine. it now, then, Sammy? Should we go for it now? All right. What's yeah, your second sure. tip for us? Um, okay. So uh, Ingus is equally snappy. Um, when doing group work, make clear the group is responsible, not the individual. Ooh, I like it. Right. Tell me more about this then. So, essentially, if you've, you know, like, in keeping with, I'm going to ask the student least likely to know, um, if the student gets it wrong following a group work task, it's the group that's getting blamed. You don't even mention the individual who's got it wrong. You, like, sometimes physically don't even, I, don't, I actively avoid looking at them, and I'll turn my body to face the other three members of the group. Um, and, like, they might, sometimes they might even be like, oh, sir, sorry, I, I meant to say, I was like, no, 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 don't worry. And you turn to them and say, this is not about you. You've done your best. Like these guys just haven't helped you properly, wow. and you sort of stare. Like you really like dramatize it all. Um, it's uh, it's a big pantomime. Um, but obviously, equally, if the group, if the person gets it right, you don't praise them at all. You massively just you sort of data group. What an amazing job! They've understood that so clearly, and so they've explained every single bit of it. And I've questioned. You have questioned them. You have done stretch it questioning, and you have You've really made sure you've given, maybe you've given them a different question that's similar um, and they've, they've got it and you say to the group, this is, this is amazing, this is superb work. And like these two things hand in hand, just but the group responsibility, is the, yeah, it's transformative. The first time I ever did it, um, so it was, it, was a, it was a teacher at school, we were talking about um, how, to, how to review tests and we were talking about like, I used to give students model solutions and like, tell them how to do it and think I think I've done a quite a good job of explaining really clearly which is part of it um but they uh then like someone said how do you know they've understood and I was like oh good question um, maybe <laughs> maybe a retest sometimes if I have time um but anyway so they were like we do group like I do group work um at the end I project I send I put photos of their mistakes that I've taken and whilst marking on the board and that person has to explain um, like how to do that question and if they can't then I blame the group and if they can I praise the group but w the first time I did this um, it was an amazing tip from this guy that I work with and uh, I've, I, uh, 
physically like did this like whole turning away from the kid that got it wrong and like looked and told the like said to the group what's going on you could see their minds being rewired like they were like i've never even considered this before uh wow um sorry sorry <laughs> they're always apologetic to the they've, like they've tried but they've just never had this kind of accountability before um and it was yeah like it, it, since then since that i can i can literally picture the moment in room 26 or whatever it was <laughs> like it just uh yeah it's, it's it's a really great uh thing to do Right, Sammy, we've got to dive into this. You, you've blown my mind here with this one. Um, first thing, just a, a, on a practical question, I'm, I always love the idea of getting kids' work up onto the board kind of as quickly as possible. You're taking photos. Just talk us through that. What, um, what, what app are you using? What tech are we, what tech are we talking here? Yeah, so um, I, I use CamScanner, um, which is just a, a photo-to-PDF converter. Um, but like, just as I'm marking, if I see a really good mistake, um, take a photo. Yeah. I write on my sort of like work solutions that I've just got just for myself so that before I start marking, I write their name, that student's name on that question on, on, the, on my test. And I do this maybe like three or four times um, for different students' mistakes that are like nice mistakes, that are common misconceptions or, you know, things that we've talked about during the unit and yet they've still made that mistake, whatever it may be. Um, and then I set like, use this cam scanner app and it kind of does like a nice kind of... Um, uh, like editing things so the colors are brighter and clearer and then you just email it to yourself and I just open up the email and then at the end of the review you, before the review you say that like, I'm going to project mistakes on the board the people better be ready to answer could be anyone anyone at all and it, and it really could be anyone and so like um, I quite often target um, pupil premium students and like lower attaining students but like just because I think that's a generally good rule to follow for things if you're not in, if you're in two minds. But more important is the like the mistake that's been made if it's a really nice mistake. Anyway, um, after the after the when the, when the review part of in the groups is finished, then it's just like one mistake at a time. This mistake is, and you can sometimes see the kid whose mistake it is, or the group who's you really know they've got it when the group are like, this is <laughs> this is so and so's right here we go, um, and then uh, and yeah you just say right it's your turn you talk talk us through it um and then if they if they do it then obviously you, you praise the group um and if they don't you blame the group like to varying degrees of um like severity of consequence like it might be you just say um they don't understand it well like sometimes i, I it's quite harsh but like they, they explain it but then you kind of stretch it a bit you ask them some more questions and follow questions and they get a bit stumped and like you, I would do that for if if the the group members that helped them were really high attainers, mm. and I was just trying to like challenge them even more and be like, look, look at the questions that I've asked. Did you ask these questions? And they'll be like, no. And I know that because this person's not be able to answer these questions. This is what you've got to be doing. So it might be like that, quite measured um, and like really really high expectations of what I like, want them to do in their groups. But it might also be, this is quite a basic mistake. There's no way you should have like not got this wrong. So you lot, it's not a detention because mm. you've not misbehaved, but you're going to stay behind until this person can explain it. It happened today in my year 11 lesson actually. Um, like they they do a paper homework of like mixed exam questions from um, uh, their most recent like prep test that they're doing. Actually, this is this is a, another teaser for later on. But anyway, um, they they come in, they do this every after each lesson. They come in um, and they immediately the, the answers on the board. And they immediately start doing group work review. Because um, I've, I've taught them for like four and a half years now, so they've done a lot of group work and they're quite they, they're, they're all right at it. And um, 
but at the end of the 20 minutes they have to do this, I then like pick someone. And the student who I picked was a student who actually missed the last lesson and hadn't heard the explanation. Um, but like, I, it's, it's the crunch time. He has to know what to do for these questions. So I just said like this, this class, this group's got to stay. And then at the end, they had to stay for 20 minutes, 20 out of like 35 minute lunch, which was annoying for me and them because I wanted to get my lunch, but yeah. they just, he, he wasn't getting it. And they, like they, they had to do it and they, they didn't complain because they know how it works and they, they do want him to understand. Um, but yeah, that, that, that's the other end of the, the severity. God, Sammy, so many questions on this. Let me just make sure I've definitely got my head around this, this, this cam scam app. You're taking the photo, it converts it to a PDF, you'll send, you're just emailing it to yourself straight away, and you can just go to your kind of tower at the front or whatever, crack open the email, and it's on the board. Is that is yeah. Exactly, yeah. Love it, love it. Right, groups. So first question about this, I'm intrigued by the type of tasks that you're setting for your group. Because whenever I've used group work in the past, it's been the more kind of investigative, open-ended, less structured things. I'm getting the sense that you're using it for a kind of a, a, a broader range of activities. Can you just describe some of the things that you may get your kids working in groups to do? Yeah, so there's, um, before, like, like, before we start group work, um, it's good. You have to know the reason that you're doing it. And in my mind, there's three good reasons. There's uh, generating ideas, just, just generating ideas. doesn't apply so much in maths. Um, occasionally it does, but not, not loads. Uh, processing or practicing something. So you might think of it as the we do part of the lesson, but it's not necessarily teacher led. So usually we do is the teacher obviously guiding students through questioning or whatever. But it might be that the knowledge is in the room, but it's not, it's not like... Um, it's not consolidated yet and it would be beneficial for them to have the opportunity to kind of explain, rehearse, um, just question each other a little bit to like test out little misconceptions because some of them will know and some of them won't. Um, and that one, by the way, is a bit risky because if they do have misconceptions, then obviously those can get perpetuated. So you've got to be really careful with that. Um, and the third one is when you know the knowledge is in the room because you've tested them somehow. It might be mini whiteboards. It might be a topic test. It might be a big, big assessment. Um, and you've marked their work or you told them who's right and who's wrong and you're expecting them to teach each other. Um, so those are the three reasons that I would use group work. Like pretty much not for, at all for investigation. Um, yeah, because I think with investigations, like, um, I'm, not, I'm not saying that there's never a time and place for it um, at all because I... I it's like often lessons can take all kinds of forms and like it, sometimes it's just good to have something really exciting which actually mm. isn't going to help them necessarily do really well in an exam um but if it's exciting and worthwhile and maybe relevant and whatever then I, I, there's definitely like i'm all for it um but i think with investigations like once someone's realized and then they just tell the group yeah. that the, the investigation is not a thing yeah. um anymore for those people so if i'm ever trying to get them to spot patterns or whatever it's more i'll be like looking at this board can you see a pattern here and i'll give them real time like silent time and then they put their hand up if they think they've spotted a pattern and, and then i'll get a gauge of the room at least to see if they think they've understood which is very different yes. to if they have understood but i think that that has to be done um silently and actually a lot of things need to be done silently um things where once you're told then there's no more thinking um like uh let's think of an example done badly well uh, like so some, some, some questions really lend themselves to group work, regardless of how good the students are at group work. Um, so trying to find the area of a compound shape just because like, um, or the area of a shaded section, I think even if they're not very good at questioning and stuff, um, without much subtlety, they can help students get to the answer without just telling them. 
Whereas, by contrast, like let's say factorizing quadratic expressions, um, I know this is math specific, um, but if if you're not very, very, very good at helping people, you might just tell them what goes in the brackets and then like that, then there's no worth to the group work. And so that kind of thing needs to be done silently, individually, because they need to get used to thinking in the right way. Um, so you have to be really careful about your when, like when you're, when is a good time to use group work. Um, and it can vary from topic to topic and it can vary from lesson to lesson uh, and subject to subject. It's fast. The problem here, Sammy, is everything you say, I then write down three more questions of things to ask you. So I'm, I'm intrigued here. Well, ju just a very quick question on this. We, group work, ever, would you say majority of lessons would involve some form of group work for you? Would that be fair? Yeah, very, like, as I say, quite rarely generating ideas. Um, but usually, like, even if it's just mini whiteboards, if, they're, if let's say, two-thirds of the class have got it right and a third haven, or even less, let's say, half and half, and it's fairly evenly spread throughout the room, um, with the students trained up well in group work, I think it's the most productive way to deal with mistakes once they know who's right um if you just explain it from the front half of them it's irrelevant to um yeah. and if you um you can't move on because there's not enough of them in the classroom yeah. who know so like i can't really imagine teaching without that as my fallback option because not only does it provide the support for those that got it wrong but the yeah. ones who got it right I, like i really believe it's really powerful for them to challenge them to get them to think deeply about it to help someone yeah. who doesn't understand just um, on that, Sammy. So I, I have the exact same strategy, but I, I don't have the group accountability at the end. So it never works as well, right? Because it's the the thing there is the the kids who've got it right. Sure, I'm saying to them, explain to you know your partner who's struggling, blah blah blah. But if they do, they do. If they don't, it doesn't matter. But then if 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 I'm holding them account, if their partner can't explain it, whoa, then the the incentives and stakes are there. So right, I'm 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 onto that one. Here's my question for you, Sammy. Well, does paired work play a role here at all? Is, is, there, is, it, is it either independent, silent work and group work, or is, is, there, is there room for paired work? I, I, I bracket paired work um, pretty... It's, it's, it's pr the principles applied as they do to group work, yeah. um, the same principles. The only thing is, if you're using pairs rather than groups, the best thing about, like, the lowest number of people... If you've got eight groups in the class, eight groups of four, let's say, um, you need eight students in the room to have understood something properly for the yes. group work to work yeah. if you have pairs you need 16 yeah. um, yeah. and so it makes it harder to do the teaching and to do the the processing becomes a little bit more risky the teaching is harder um it's, it's just a little bit harder i think um like what, what sometimes happens when they're doing group work is they might naturally just fall into a group of two and two and like if they're having different conversations but i really um, emphasize to them that's okay but they have to be checking each other's pair as well um, like you have to the people on your table you're responsible for even if you've been talking individually with something because it's worked out that you're going to fix that while someone else fixes that yes. you still need to grab their test look at their purple pen note and I'm if, I, if they get it wrong and I ask them later on I'm still going to be like looking at you to say what's happened I like it I like it right final few just questions logistic questions on group work and then if there's anything else you want to add that we haven't covered please do Sammy so um, where to start here? Size of groups, would it tend to be fours or would that, would that depend? Yeah, so uh, three, um, so two to four um, works. Five is hard uh, like, because then it's harder to ensure that you're not getting um, 
people doing nothing and it's harder for the kids to notice when people aren't doing anything as well um and what you often find is a five turns into a three and a two and then and it's harder to hold them to account as a group when the one on the 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 one from the two is on one end of the like desk and the one from the three on the other end like it's quite hard for them to hold each other like look after each other but it's still i mean in all honesty like i've got quite big classes with my year eights and nines and we do often have five and it does work it's just um a little bit harder got it um choice of kids in the group are you grouping them in any specific way i like to have um let's say you've got eight groups highest attaining second highest attaining third highest attaining fourth all the way down to eight and then i will take the ninth highest attaining and put them on the table with the eighth and then go backwards the other way okay and then i'll go again and then again um obviously all of this relies heavily on behavior and personality clashes and so like in honesty with my year 11s there's so many personalities in there (laughs) it's entirely it's sadly entirely about personality pretty much like i i've made sure there's a there's a high attainer on each group but beyond that it's about who's going to work well with who and not get distracted but with my year eights it's pretty much exactly by the book um like that and basing it on, is it static? Because that was going to be my follow-up question. What, what, what data are you kind of judging this on? Yeah, so it's um, obviously informed by summative assessment data, but summative assessment data is always limited. And I feel like, so we, I, I'm fortunate enough to have taught my classes since they arrived in year seven, all of them. So I know them really well. And so I, I wouldn't, I, I, my gut, and what they understand is much better than yes. the summative data. But it also, I think what summative assessment data is really, really useful for flagging up students that know less than you realize. Um, but I think there are students that know loads that might do badly in a test, in a big test. And so I wouldn't, um, it's obviously, it's worth seeing. It's like, it's very yeah. useful data because something's gone wrong for them. But um, it, I'd be much more willing to say, that's a bad day for them compared to a student who's done really, really bad, really badly and is like bottom of the class. I'm like, yes. that's major alarm, alarm bells. But would, uh, you, I, would, would the group, would you change the groups a fair bit then? So after, so I, I it, based on new summative data. Yeah, or just any, just anything. How, how long would a group kind of stay in place before yeah, its members it's, were shuffled a bit? It's a great question, um, which I've been thinking about recently because I realised with my year eights, it's been pretty much static since the start of this year. Um, so that's what, uh, seven months. Um, yeah. the advantages of this is that they start to, they start to understand their own like yeah. weaknesses in the groups and they can start to really work towards that and fill yes. those gaps, which is amazing. Um, and they also, they also over time start to really care. And like there's, um, when we do tests sometimes, I'm, well, if, if a group, occasionally a whole group, let's say the whole group gets hundred percent or something like that, you can say to the class, you know, obviously it's great when a kid gets 100%, but if you say to the class, yeah. this group here yeah, has good. looked after each other so much in the last few weeks in the topic that we've been doing, whatever, that's that nice. every single one of them has got 100%, and they look at each other, and you can see they're really proud of each other, and it's just, it's, it's class. And, um, yeah, that, so, so that, that's, that's stopping me moving around. Yeah, of course. But then, then equally, when they, um, as discussed with Year 11, like sometimes they become very familiar with each other and it, it just takes, it, it can mean that they get overly comfortable. Um, yes. And then obviously you put the accountability measures to stop that happening, but sometimes just changing it up um, gives them a fresh impetus and they're not familiar. They're not so familiar. So they're a bit more professional about it. And 
Yeah, this is all like, I definitely don't have an answer. I should have probably started with by saying I don't have an answer to that question. Um, it's just, this is what I'm, I've been going around in my head recently as I think about it because it's been now seven months since the start of the year and there, have, there hasn't been much movement. Um, I think if it's working, then keep it, of I think course. is a simple solution. Um, and if you have a feeling that it might not be or you have a feeling it could be better, then then, try, then just change it up, um, which I guess applies to a lot of things, if not everything. So... <laughs> This is great, Sammy. Last two questions for me on, on, on group work. I could speak to you all, all night on groups. Um, I'm intrigued by your room layouts. Well, how do you have your desks? Um, so I've got, if we, so let's say rectangular room, yeah. and there's a teacher desk in the corner. Yeah. Where, um, so if you're facing the board at the front, the teacher desk is to the right. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of, it's, I've tried this for the first time this year. I've never liked it being horizontal or, well, perpendicular or parallel to the board at the yeah. board. So I've tried just moving it quite grotesquely 45 <laughs> degrees, um, which is strange, but like it's working for me. I'm liking it um, because there's all kinds of reasons you might want to do that. But um, I like the fact that I can see the board, teach from the front on my laptop if I'm sat down, um, like modeling, but can also see the class at the same time. Yes, okay. So yeah, anyway, yeah. It's, got, it's, it's a good combination. Um, but then but in front of me, so if we're still facing the front of the room with the board at the front and the desk to the far right corner, yeah. there's in front, directly in front of me, there's, there's a group of four and a group of four behind that. So yeah. bottom right now. Um, and so the, and then there's two more rows of groups. Uh, the middle row has three groups of four yeah. and the left row probably should be saying columns the left column has three more groups of four as well got it and is it the kids i assume like when you're modeling or whatever it's quite easy for them to all be facing the front this was all the reason i'm saying this this is always one of my big arguments in internal arguments why i think no no i always prefer rows just because the kids are facing the front yeah it's a good it's a really good question i like again um (laughs) grotesquely have tilted the desk 45 degrees and the ones at the side the ones at the side of the room they're tilted 45 degrees so that the yeah. ones who would otherwise be kind of having to turn around yes. to see the board only have to sort of tilt ahead a little bit right okay um, that's nice so the all desks um if you look at the if you look at a sort of plan view of the room would be facing towards the board um at some sort of angle so that to minimize the amount they have to turn got it got it perfect and last question and it's the worst question sammy um, I, I would love to get kids to the stage where they can do this work in groups like you can. How, how long do you reckon it takes and what are some of the things, what are some of the things that are, you've learned that are essential to put into place in those early kind of lessons where they're getting to grips with this? Um, I think genuinely the difference when I started just blaming the group, um, which is what I guess this tip is all about, yeah. and praising the group, that was like an overnight clear difference, nice, um, nice. which is like ridiculous because these things never work like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but then the uh, the it's they never arrive. We never arrive. We never like we're never going to get to the point where we're perfect in anything. Yeah. But we aspire to get better and better. And it's the same for the group work. I think in the trajectory it'll go up and down a little bit and then up a bit more and down a little bit more but ultimately there'll be a positive trend if you keep yeah. practicing yeah and um you can kind of start adding new things like like with my year 
I've got top set year nine at the moment, um, who I've had since year seven, and midway through year seven, I started. You had to build up the accountability, just in them understanding what how it was working. But then maybe after a few months, you can then start to like doing it regularly in a lot of lessons and doing all the all the consequences and whatever it may be. Um, starting to teach them to question each other, um, which adds a completely new uh, layer to yes. it. And honestly, like some of their questioning is ridiculous. Like they they teach me a thing or two, um, <laughs> like the way they scaffold and guide through questioning and like. But then once you open that up, then you hit a, another huge increase in like productivity. Yes. Um, and so anyway, like I think it was just practicing for a few months. Well, you'll start to notice a difference. Um, but that overnight transformation of just suddenly blaming and praising the group will like is it is really good. Sometimes I, I should probably like I feel like I should say. Just make sure that you're judging the situation well, because I can just imagine like a slightly spicier group of kids suddenly being like, <laughs> "What? I'm getting blamed for this? Like, yeah. <laughs> this yeah. kid has this kid hasn't been listening." And like, and you have to really make sure that you're um, separating bad behaviour. Like, if one of the kids isn't engaging, like that's a different thing to group work accountability. Yes. Um, and I don't want people to suddenly find themselves getting loads of fights with kids um, <laughs> because they've like you know held them to account with group work in a way they'd never thought about before. But um, the principle is there. That's great. I, I said last question, Sammy, but I've just thought of one more, so I do apologise. I'm intrigued by what you're doing as a teacher whilst the kids are working in their groups. Uh, on two levels here. One, because you mentioned a potential problem with group work is that the kids can be practising the wrong things, misconceptions can be going around, so I'm in intrigued how you're keeping on top of that. But also, I mean, I'm intrigued by a point I first heard Colin Foster make, that as teachers, sometimes we can really get in the way of kids thinking like the kids will be having a great discussion and we'll be hovering at the back and all of a sudden either the discussion shuts down or the kids feel they need to perform or it just becomes stilted. So what, what are you doing as a teacher whilst your kids are, kids are doing the group work? Yeah, great question. Um, trying not to get as, not to get involved as much as possible yeah. and trying to keep every group in view as much as possible. So I stand in the corner so I only have to turn a quarter turn to see the whole room. Nice. And I try my best to zone into conversations as much as I can um, so that I can figure out whether misconceptions are being perpetuated or, but also just like figure out if they're on task yeah. in a really basic level. And if I have a suspicion that they are off task, try really hard to listen to that conversation and try and read body language. But also if it's not working, subtly try and move to that part of the room whilst still keeping the rest of the class in view. And then you can like maybe do that thing I was talking about where you let them play it out and then you pick someone and you'd be like, right, I was listening. You might have not thought it because I stood on the other side of the room, but I was listening and I can tell. Like, it might have been that. Um, what That's like if you... Most of the time you'll have to do that, I think, and that's a good thing to do. What I've started doing with this year nine class is um, when they're doing their group work, uh, because their behaviour is excellent um, and it's very, very rare that I've noticed them being off task, um, I go around with a mini whiteboard and basically just listen. And it's like I'm observing a trainee teacher or whatever. Just I'm just writing down what well is and even better ifs in terms of their, their help. And then every so often I'll just stop the class and give a few individuals feedback publicly. Um, so it might be modelling a bad conversation. It might be modelling a really nice line of questioning which took their partner to the right answer. Um, it, but just like basically just giving them feedback um, as I would a teacher. And... 
that's it's a, it's a that's you have to model what good conversations look like, yes. um, and that is one way of doing it. It's great, Sammy. I, I want to completely change how I teach here. Listen to this; it's it's brilliant stuff. Right, tip number three, Sammy. What are we going for here? Um, use the same questions with different numbers. Ooh. Another great. You've really thought these through. I like. I like the snappy titles. Yeah, as I said, as I said, that's the only snappy part. The rest is just hot air for me, just chatting, <laughs> for going on tangents. But yeah. Right. Tell me more about this one, Sammy. So, um, again, like in the theme of accountability, you let's say um, you introduce a question. So, constantly saying to students, like the most important thing for learning is to ask questions. You have to ask questions. You have to ask questions. Yeah. Um, and so, you model something. Questions, questions, questions. No. Okay, fine. We're doing the same question with different numbers, and you can literally just rub out the numbers and say, if you understood it, then this is absolutely no problem because it is the same question. And so, it might be for the mini whiteboards. It might be with like a do now, let's say you give them a difficult do now, and then you say, we're doing this same do now tomorrow with different numbers. So you ask questions now, you um, write down your purple pen notes now so that you can look back at them tomorrow, because tomorrow I'm expecting every single person to answer every single one of these without any problems. Um, it might be a, re so a nice, uh, nice thing to do, which I've done a lot of, um, is with my year 11s particularly, is just retest. Um, I used to literally use Tipex to Tipex out the numbers and just write new numbers on. Nice. Um, but now we've got like these nice laptops from my school and we can just like get the PDF up and just like colour them in white and, and black and rewrite new numbers on. But principle is Tipex copy style retests. And you say to them like wait, but before you start the review, just so we're going to review in the usual way, it's group work. And I'm going to stop you every so often and like ask people to explain things I got wrong. But on top of all that, at the end of the review period, we're going to do a retest. It's going to be the questions that the class did badly on, and it's going to be the same questions but just different numbers. And anyone who doesn't do well on this, I'll know you just didn't do this review properly. Um, so, yeah, pretty much that. And like, there's all kinds of different. But like, it might be we d we try not ever to get kids to write just copy stuff down from the board. Um, so when we want a nice example in books, it'll be like that situation. We'll model one. Then we'll rub out the numbers and be like, right, now you do this one in your books nicely. And obviously, if they get it wrong, they have to write a purple pen note. Um, because always you want them to be thinking and thinking as much as possible. Um, so, Sam, yeah. you've, you've chucked a couple of things in here that we need, we need to follow up on. This, this is great. So the first thing is, the first time I heard something similar to the change numbers thing for for low stakes quizzes was when Danny Quinn, um, former head of maths at Michaela was on my podcast years, years ago. And she described the process where the kids would be given a low stakes quiz. Um, and then they wouldn't be judged on how they did on that. They do it very low stakes. They do it in class. Maybe answers are up on the board. Teacher goes through it, blah, blah, blah. But then the teacher says to them, okay, your homework over the weekend is to prepare for the follow-up quiz where you're going to get the exact same questions, but the numbers are going to change. And I'd never heard of this before, but the point Danny made, and I'm assuming it's a similar point that you're making here, is that how the kids do on that first iteration, that's maybe down to either ability, achievement, knowledge, and so on and so forth. But how they do when the numbers change, that's almost all down to efforts. They've, they've no reason they can't do that. As long as they have given time and opportunity to figure out whether it's from the group or from the teacher. So it's a real good way to hold them to account because there's, there's no excuse. And Danny was saying how parents would phone. Because I think Danny was, this was where I got the NSPCC contacting. It was all kicking off. Because 
um, Danny was um, would then I think maybe put them in detention or something like that if they did bad on the follow up test and the and everyone was you can imagine people kicking off. But her point that got lost was they had every opportunity to do well on that follow up test because they knew what the questions were going to be. It's just the numbers were going to change. Is that is that a similar kind of kind of philosophy if that makes sense? Nail on the head. Absolutely. I'm all for that detention there, to be honest. Right. <laughs> They'll be on to you, Sammy. Be careful yeah, what you yeah. say. No wonder you're not yeah. on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But like, I, I, as long as you set them up for success fairly, um, like you've given them, you, you've made sure you've, they've had space for questions. Um, you've gone, you've, you've modelled it really cleanly. You, you have to like hold yourself to account as well and be like, have you actually done a good enough job there? Um, given them time to talk about it in groups, maybe like, uh, maybe even give them another question there and then and yeah, check yeah. and be like if you if you check and you, let's say they do do now um, they don't get it right you reteach one of the questions they do a mini whiteboard question everyone gets it right and you say to them tomorrow look everyone's got it right every single person this is coming up tomorrow and I'm giving I'm just changing the numbers if you don't get it right, I'm going to keep you afterwards because something like you, because, because, and you say to them tomorrow, because like fair enough if they can't remember, I think like if they, if they're struggling to remember, that's understandable. But if you let them look back in their books at the purple pen notes that they've made in their strategy, there is absolutely, it's, it's completely justified to say to them, you must get a hundred percent in this because like, yes. you, either, either you weren't asking questions or you copied someone when you do a mini whiteboard, yeah, which is yeah. not okay. Um, or you were lazy when it came to writing purple and notes, and therefore when it comes back to like you've forgotten, which isn't your fault, but when 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 you get the chance to help yourself, because I've not made it a test, I've said you can look at your notes, whatever yeah. notes you made. If you can't, if they don't help you, then you obviously did it badly, and that's on you. That's good, that I like that. And the second thing, and that you chucked in towards the end there, and this is something I've been thinking about because of some work I've been doing with the school at the moment. You mentioned about the copying down. Now this is a massive thing because I would say. 99%, 95% of maths lessons that I'm lucky enough to watch that involve a worked example, invariably the kids are asked at some point to copy down that worked example. And there's a number of issues with this, but the biggest is, and I've suffered from this myself, I call it this the illusion of copying down, that there's this almost this belief that something magical happens from the process of a, a child copying something down on the board, that all of a sudden they understand it more, they learn it more or something like that. And the, my other issue I have with this is, I'm not convinced that kids use their exercise books effectively for revision. It's not as if, you know, you're looking back through all, because books sometimes scruffy, disorganized, blah, 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 blah. And this worked example, yeah, anyway. So I'm really intrigued what you do there. So let me see if I've got this right. So you're modeling one kind of version of the worked example, however you, you model it, but then you're ch the kids aren't writing that down in books but then the version that they get down in books is essentially kind of like a your turn. It's 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 the works example, but with the numbers change, and that becomes their model example. Is that right, Sammy? Yeah, that's it, yeah. Yeah, so, okay, so just to tell me a little bit about this. So I like the rationale that you always want the kids thinking. That that's, I'm, I'm completely on board with, with that. How do you, I guess the big question... How, how do you want want your kids using that word? For example, are, are, are you of the belief, and are the kids going to be kind of referring back to it? What's the purpose of it? So the best way of revising math is to do math. Like, I'm definitely on board with yeah. what you've said there. I completely agree. I wouldn't want my kids reading through their notes and stuff um, when it comes to revising. However, a lot of students... Like, I've never really been bothered that much about books. Mm. Um, I've never... Yeah, I've just never really like cared that much, to be honest. But um, 
kids do see like somehow maybe just because we make a big deal about the purple pen and how to reflect yes. on mistakes and stuff and so we do that for first of all so they to force them to engage with mistakes and um they can write down feedback so they understand so they like know what the right thing to do is a strategy maybe but also the better like kind of higher level thinking is they're reflecting on their own mistakes articulating where they went wrong and writing down what they need to do next time and it's a really hard skill like we again we never arrive it's definitely there's always room for improvement but it's something we aspire to um i keep saying we like i'm talking about in my school um yeah, yeah. like but i think um so because we've made such a big deal about purple pen, students tend, they seem to care about their books and they seem to care about the notes that they're making more than probably I, I do. Yes. Um, and a lot, of, a lot of them do find it useful to refer back to them, um, especially if I'm doing something like the do now and I'm saying I write down purple notes because I'm giving the same questions and you can look back at them tomorrow. So I don't really care, but students seem to by, by virtue of all the other things in place that we're trying yes. to do to make them learn. Um, and I think also, like, like you know, I, as someone as a math teacher now, who's all right at maths when I was at school, I didn't really need to look back at my book yeah. because I just remembered stuff. Whereas a lot of the kids you teach actually do need that, and it's helpful if they can do that. And also, we do a lot of chants. We do a chant for pretty much every topic, um, like a call and response for pretty much every topic. And that's the sort of thing that they write down in purple pen. And if that's written down in their book next to a, that, silent, that kind of question it is helpful for them to refer back to it. Um, so I, the answer is, uh, I, and, and, and also for, sorry, for the same reason, that's also why we get them to have one clean example, at least one clean example in their book. So that if they want to, they can refer back to it um, when they're doing independent practice that lesson or later on that week or whenever it may be. If they come to revise um, and they really can't remember and they, they don't think to ask a friend or they don't think to come to their teacher, at least it's something they can do yes. to help themselves before giving up. Um, so that's the extent to which I, I, like, I, I care about neat examples and books. Um, does that, that have a question? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. If I can just check I've got this, this right, I'm, I'm, I'm always interested in the logistics <clears throat> of this. So you are, you're modelling a worked example on the board. The kids aren't writing anything down or would they be possibly banging stuff down on mini whiteboards throughout or is it just, just watching? Uh, just watching. Yep. Watching, I think. <clears throat> I, we, we, in my school, everyone's got slightly different ways. Slightly, but as a general rule, I think if you're modelling something from the start, you need everyone focused completely. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then you're then, so you've gone through it and then you're, you're changing the numbers and they're having a go, but they're writing it in their books. So just two questions on that. How are you? How are you assessing whether they've understood that that bit? Yeah. So sometimes I save the work to them writing in their books until I know they can do it. So sometimes I'll model it and we'll do some mini whiteboard questions. Ah, and the yes, final mini whiteboard yes. question, I will rub out the numbers and say, right, right, you're going to do this one in your books as your example. So it might be then. Um, it might also be if you. Like, this all works better for higher attaining classes. And if you have lower attaining classes, what a lot of teachers our school do is. Um, guide the students through a worked example um but then because and, but if the knowledge the student teacher hasn't told the students what's going on the students um so it's just something that they've worked through as a class yeah. they then write that down because it's something that they've done it's like arguably it's copying but i also think because the students have worked through it themselves rather than yeah. being told it's a bit, a bit better than that however it was there was something really illuminating uh that was mentioned by a colleague of mine in a math meeting recently um and she'd been, she teaches a, the bottom set year 
can't remember, maybe year seven class or year eight class. And she was watching them write down a word example that, like, like that, where they'd gone through it as a class, she'd got the information from them, and then she said, right, now write this down as your, word, as your neat example. And she'd watch them copy it down, and they'd copied it down from like the bottom right of the example. They, had, they hadn't copied it like left to right and in the order of the thinking and the writing that um, we'd done it. They just copied it down as if it was a picture. And right. it was like, it was wow. mind blowing. And like, there's obviously, there's so much to unpack there. Wow. Um, but essentially, like, what I've taken from that is just really, again, copying down yes. is so not helpful. Wow, Sammy. That, I mean, again, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is, that's your classic sign of almost kind of just a, just a passive process. Like you say, just copying a picture down, right? Yeah, that is incredible. Um, final question on this, Sammy. Just purple pen, just 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 clear up for me, what role does that play in this worked example part of the process? Yeah, so if, um, let's say, so we're doing it the way that I mentioned first, where <clears throat> you do a question, yeah. rub out the numbers, they yeah. then new numbers, they do it in their books. If it's like, so I will circulate to get a sense, I'll circulate, targeting the students at least likely to know, and yeah. there... Then, if like, and then I, and then I'll go through the answer, and then I'll say if you've got anything wrong, you need to purple pen it. And so, like, that might be a sentence. It might be with the word with the perfect example, like doing it properly. The bit they yeah. did wrong in purple pen and explaining what they did wrong. So the the, the slight the issue with that is their neat example it might not end up being neat. Sure, sure. But I think it's still it's still better than copying. Yeah, um, and, and for me, it's the, it's the ownership thing there. Like, I, I'm always a, even if they do copy the example from the board, if, if they've got something in their own words, something personalised to them, whether it's annotations or whatever, that for me starts, the, the meaning's there and it's a bit more, more active. That's, I should, yeah, I that's should also say, like, just to be really like, honest about it, like, I, I've done a lot of learning walks where I've focused on purple pen notes and stuff, and the range of quality is like incredible yeah, and yeah, yeah. obviously there's there's some really bad purple pen notes where students have actually like made an even bigger like mistake in their purple pen yes. um or said some nonsense but i think the principle of something to work towards where they're reflecting on mistakes is a worthwhile is like really important and um using the purple pen simply for corrections and teacher top tips and chants is still really good and in some ways is training them to reach that stage where they are taking ownership of it and doing their own thing so like it is still worthwhile, but I would I don't want to I don't want to give off the wrong impression here that like all of our all of our students are writing ridiculously good <laughs> like metacognitive <laughs> comments and whatever like it's just not the case. But that it, they are do a lot of them do it well, and some of them do it incredibly well, and some of them don't. And um, but it's it's still a worthwhile thing. That's great, Savvy. Just before we move on to uh, tip number four, you, you, keep, you keep mentioning chants. Can you give us a couple of these chants? Get a couple of examples yeah. of these. Adding and subtracting fractions, find the LCM. Uh, perimeter is the distance around a 2D shape. Um, there's a really good one, which is uh, one of my favourites. Uh, you say right angle triangle, Pythagoras or trig. Side, 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 Pythag, Pythag, labelled longest side. Side, angle side. So, cut, toe, uh, label the two sides. Cover up the one you want and use the formula. So, like, you know, it, you can question the pedagogy in, in some of those things, like, you know, using the formula triangles for so, cut, toe, whatever. But in terms of, like, it, it's, it's quite powerful because you teach that with, um, you teach it as a mind map. It's like, you see a triangle, are you finding area, yes or no? 
Um, if no, is it a right angle triangle? Then you go through that whole chan process. Yeah. If if it's not, then you go through two angles, two sides. Um, sine rule, sine rule, write the one you want on top. If not, three sides, one angle, cosine. You kind of go and you teach it as this mind map, yeah. but then the chants yeah. reflect it and they take them through the thinking. And um, it's really like it's also because that one that one's good because it's got quite a good beat. Yeah, and, uh, I was going they, for that. I like it. You have to, yeah, you have to really like embrace. You have to buy into it. And some of like I, I think. You, you know it's ridiculous and the kids know it's ridiculous yeah. but if you're just unashamedly into it yes. and you just but even if they don't want to do it if you keep doing it and pushing them into it then like and then we're not going to move on until you're going to do the same level of enthusiasm <laughs> as I'm giving particularly if you do it from year 7 then uh, by year 11 they're just they're just brought in and it's just a normal part of life so that's great that Sally that's brilliant okay tip number 4 please <laughs> this is this is really stuffy this one uh Question, don't tell. Oh, intriguing. Question, don't tell. Okay, tell me more. Um, so, again, like this, we, we've had some slight disagreement. Not disagreement, but I think the way that different um, departments in our school do this is, is different. And, uh, like, I know Adam Adam is the king of modelling, and, like, the way that he models is, is ridiculous. Like, uh, but in maths, we try always, even when we're modelling from the front, to model through questioning. Because um, I think the idea is, and Adam's been like doing some CPD at our school, like talking about how to you go from familiar to unfamiliar, or maybe concrete to um, abstract, or whatever, whatever it may be. But the familiar to unfamiliar um, fade, if you want, is that is, that's how math teaching works. You mm. take some prior knowledge that is needed that they should know, make sure they've got it, and then you add a little bit to it based on logic. And so, if you do that well, then you can do it through questioning because it's only building on stuff that they've already known like there are exceptions like when i'm first teaching algebraic proportion to i don't know year 10 class or something um i i think it's just quite helpful to say this is um general formula specific formula you model like direct portion like this and inverse portion like this and because it's all it's all just a bit of a leap that sometimes yeah. like it's just better just to say like this is what's going on but as a general rule if you're teaching something for the first time um modeling from the front question them don't tell um wh when you're helping a child one-to-one -one, um like question always try like if you t if you tell them you've got no idea if they've understood when they're when students are working in groups um try and get them to question each other then rather than telling each other and i think the best way that i can like demonstrate why this is so important is everyone has had it where you're you've explained something you've explained it really well and to someone who's not understood it before, and you're explaining, 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 and you reach a point where that person you're explaining it to goes, oh, yeah. Right? And until I started teaching, I just, I just assumed that meant they understood. But yeah. it turns out it's not true. Like, people make that noise all the time because it's become so, like, it's become socially awkward for them to go any longer without understanding it. And, like... Honestly, like I'm asking, I ask kids, I do this to kids all the time. You say it, and they, they go, "Oh yeah," and you go, "Oh, right, I've got, I've got to stop there because you've just made that noise, which means that you think you understand or you like want to communicate you understand." But yeah. do, and it, it's amazing, it's amazing how often they still don't understand, and that comes about because you've told them rather than questioned them. Because when you're telling someone something, they like right now it could be happening. You could just be zoning off right now. Yeah, yeah. I'm, like, I've got no idea. I've got absolutely. I'm not asking any questions. I'm just talking. <laughs> and so yeah, like it's it. Once 
I don't know. I I I find I find I do that all the time. As soon as something is not immediately interesting, um, there's a chance, there's a danger that I'm my mind might wander a little bit, and I have to bring yeah. myself back. And I'm I try to be self disciplined about it, so hopefully I don't miss out on too much. But you know, like if you're dealing with children who aren't very self disciplined, then there's no chance that they're going to bring themselves back, even if they're looking you in the eye, and even if your explanation is amazing, which is why um, in our department we try to question always god it's fascinating this sammy so i can i can certainly see it well i don't i don't do it enough but i can certainly see how this is a hundred percent a good idea if you if you're kind of working one-to-one with a child and you're trying to get a, help them through something and you want to get a sense of, of where, where the kind of gap is in their knowledge where it's going wrong so you build up and so on the modeling is the thing that intrigues me here. Now, I'm interested with the, the kind of big leap things. That that certainly seems to me the place where, yeah, you want the kind of crystal clear explanation and so on because it's too big a jump and it's going to take too long for the kids to get there. Potentially misconceptions bombing around left, right and centre and so on. Can you give me an example of, of, a, of an idea, a new idea where you could get all the way with, with, with questioning or, or, you know, most of the way? Yeah, so... Um... Let's say if you're teaching dividing fractions um, oh, for the first yeah. time. So you talk, start off by saying, like, I've got eight pieces of chocolate here. And if I have half of them, half of those pieces of chocolate, how many do I have? And you say, like, we've got four. You, you, so you're questioning, this is a question, how many yeah. chocolate pieces are Yeah. And so you then say, all right, so if I write down, like down half of eight equals four. And... Uh, what what's another way of saying that? How could, like if I if I if I divided the chocolate into piles, like what would I have divided by divided eight by to make my four divided by two? Okay, so dividing by two, and we get four. So let's look at these next to each other. And I said I've written down a half of eight, literally like that. And we've yep. taught them already that of in math means times. Okay, so I've got half times eight. And so uh, and when you're multiplying things, does it matter what order you multiply them in? No. Okay, so if I write 8 times a half, that's the same as a half times 8. Yeah. Okay, so 8 times a half is the same as 8 divided by what? 2. And 2 is the same as 2 over 1. And so what do you notice about dividing 8 by something and timesing 8 by something? What's the relationship here? Well, dividing by some fraction is the same as timesing by its reciprocal. And so, like, you, you're getting them to almost fill the gaps in the, in the reason, the logic of where you where you've gone with it god this is interesting sammy just again on the logistics is that a lot of mini whiteboard stuff in response to those um, questions so i this is another situation where yes mini whiteboards could do a job i think the admin of getting the whole class to you know if you do mini whiteboards properly you're covering your answers you're yeah, hovering yeah. when you're ready you're yeah. showing at the same time and really the questions are so constantly there yeah. um that it's it's too there's too like there's too much for mini whiteboards, so it's a situation where it's good to cold call. Um, but sometimes I'll do like a whole class like back and forth because a lot of those questions the whole class could have said. And if I'm and it it keeps them engaged. I think it like it holds their attention and it holds them to account for for yes. being involved and listening to your model. Whereas if you don't do that, if you and if you don't sometimes just stop and like look at them expectedly, like yeah. what's the next thing I'm going to say? Were you really following what? Because if you were following what I was saying, then you should know the next thing because it's nothing that we haven't done before. Yes. Like all these things, they it increases the likelihood they're going to be listening. This is interesting, this Sammy. 
I would imagine the difference between how me and you would do this, and I, I, I already think I'm having the wrong camp here straight away, is I think I'd do a lot of the explaining I'd make sure I've got their attention and so on. I'd have really thought through, maybe even gone so far as to script or rehearse what I was going to say. Real crystal clear explanation, at least in my head anyway. And then once I've gone through that explanation, that's when the kind of assessment would, would start. You know, I'd imagine by the time I've asked my first question of the kids, you've maybe kind of asked five or six. Um, possibly I've got there quicker, but maybe you've unearthed more potential problems that the kids could have and maybe your kids are more focused on it. I, I, I don't know, but I'd imagine that's our, dif our difference there, maybe. I, so, first of all, like, it, it's not a good assessment for learning, um, as, as we've talked about, because if you're only asking one kid, yeah. then you don't know. Um, but it is a good... You know the part if you the, the participation ratio yeah. participation ratio it is a better like I think the participation ratio will be higher yeah, if I they agree. know that at any point they could be involved in the model. I also just want to like really make clear I'm not set you know, like sometimes or often or even always it might be a good thing to do to do a really like a really clear model with no student involvement and then immediately start questioning with the next one and do the guided practice. I, fine. You're still, I think that still at that point, you're sticking to the principle of question, don't tell yes. once you've done, given them the knowledge they have. But if they have the knowledge to answer the question, then you should be asking the question. I think yes. that's my point. That's interesting. And would you, if we just double back on tip number one, because this is where it could really be derailed, right? So you're, you're trying, picture the scene here, Sammy, you're trying to do <laughs> dividing fractions you want to get to the, you know, get to the, the point where they've got this new idea. You're purposely asking the kids who you suspect might be getting this wrong. That's, you can just imagine the kind of worked example going off the rails a, a little bit here. Are you still sticking to that principle? Yeah, stage? like, so, it, you, I, again, call it based on the situation in your class and yeah, the topic you're teaching. If you think it's doable and if it's prerequisite knowledge that everyone should have, if your questioning is so clear that, yeah. And, and the, the way you've guided them through it is so clear that they should be able to answer it. Things like of in math means times and two is the same as two over one. Like, those are so, they should be so fluent in that that anyone could answer it. Yeah. Then it won't cause an obstacle. But you, have, you do have to think really carefully. But when you're first introducing an idea, um, you have to be so careful with that, like obviously. And if there is a danger that um, they're not going to get it, and you think it's going to cause more harm than it actually like um, solve, like helps deal with, then don't do it. Yeah. But um, I think the time when it's most contentious to say question don't tell is when you're introducing like new information. Yes, so then from yes. that, let, so I still think it can be done um, in the way that I described with the dividing fractions often. But uh, like let's say let's assume it can't be done and you have to give one clean, clear, concise model. Um, from that moment on, yeah. it's only questioning. It's really only questioning. Don't do the, any of the heavy lifting or even the light lifting for them. Constantly question. And one, I honestly think one question done really well that takes 20 minutes, actually 20 minutes, where you're, you know every single person is with you because you've been checking for any whiteboards and you've been targeting the ones he's likely to know. And you've really made them explain every single part of it. Yeah, and you've been jumping yeah. from student to student to student yeah. all the time. Like, that is way more worthwhile than doing 30 questions um, where... You know, maybe they can do it, but they can't explain why, or yes. they, you know. God, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. That's interesting, Sammy. All right, 
Tip number five, what have you got for us? Um, so, uh, we have, uh, yeah, trick your students to test if they really understand. Oh, another good one. Trick your students. Okay, go on, tell us about this one. Um, so, <laughs> it's, so basically, uh, it might be just, you know, once, once you, I'm not saying trick them at the beginning, they have to know what, they, they have to, you have, they have to at least like, have a model to work from yeah. but when you are guiding practice in the front let's say a student makes a mistake you've asked them a question because you're doing it all together um, and you ask them one of them a question and tell you the wrong thing let it hang there let, let them wait let the, let the, like, and see if the class have noticed and if they haven't noticed then you can hold them to account like, what's going on here like, why have you not like this is a mistake and no one's no one's got their hand up so do you not understand or are you just not listening and so Letting it, letting it sit there is really nice, but sometimes, maybe, in the, one of the few times that I go directly into, like, when we're doing a guided, guided uh, example and I do a little bit for them, yeah. and I just kind of try and, like, rush through, do a few little steps so I want to get to the, whatever the next part of the lesson is, and then I'll put a mistake, I'll throw in a mistake there and let it sit there for a bit. And I'm, like, I'm hoping and expecting immediately there's a whole sea of hands going yeah. up and being like, you know, what, like, that's a mistake. If they don't, then again, you either weren't listening or you don't understand that you should have asked a question, but something's gone wrong. I like this. I like this yeah. something because it feels high risk. That's what I like. Yeah. I like. Yeah, like, it, it, we're on the edge here. At its worst, I mean, like, at its most harsh, um, a kid will give a good, <laughs> a good explanation, like, an explanation that's not perfect, yeah. like, in the sense that they've omitted detail, they haven't said anything wrong. And so rather than doing a stretch it question to test, you just, you kind of stare at them like, as if like, do you, is, are you actually saying that's the answer? Um, do you really think that? Um, and sometimes you can actually say that you'd like, so that you, you're going with three as the final answer. And then it, like, it, you know, if they really understand, then they'll be like, yeah, I do. Um, and obviously also the culture in the room, if you build yes. this up over time and they, they come to expect sometimes you're going to tra- trick them and they'll stick to their guns a little bit. Um, but if, if, they're, if they're not convinced, even with the culture in the room, they know that sometimes I'll do this. Um, in that moment, they're so unsure of themselves because they don't understand fully. They'll, they'll say, oh, no, 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 actually, that's not mine. No, 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 I, I was just, that, that, was, uh, that was wrong. Let me have another go. And uh, so that, just, just sort of like staring at them or repeating their answer, I think is a really powerful tool because uh, you see if they really, if they really, really yes. are confident in what they're talking about. This is fascinating, this time. So a couple of things on this. Um, I am intrigued just generally about the role that mistakes play. Um, Kind of students identifying and explaining mistakes in learning and so on. And my, my limited... My limited reading on it from research, and I've spoken to Michael Pershing about this, is that obviously common sense says it's really important for kids to be able to articulate why something's wrong as much as it is just to be able to regurgitate right things all the time. But as you said at the start, they've got to attain, have attained some kind of understanding or fluency of the right way to do it before we start introducing uh, kind of the wrong ways and getting them to comment. But what I love about what you do there, and I genuinely do love this, is what I tend to see in lessons, and I've done this myself many times, is the only time I'll ever ask a question like that is when there is a mistake. So like a kid will make a mistake and I'll, I'll say, ooh, okay, is this right, everybody, do we think? And the only time I say that is when there is a mistake. So the kid's are like, oh, no, it's a mistake. So they suddenly start switching on. I've never once thought to flip it 
and say, is this right when it actually is right? But that is like you say, because then they're really on their toes, right? Because then they've got to be thinking, well, he's done this to me before. I don't know which way this is going to go. And it, I imagine, as you've said, that this all comes down to the culture. If this is something you're doing regularly, it's the, the kids are just, they must just be on their toes all the time with you, Sammy. That's what, I, that's what I'm getting from this. Yeah, they, yeah. They, I mean, maybe. Um you know, I've got probably a lot of evidence to suggest otherwise, but um, I think, yeah, I, I, it's a, it's a, it's a simple thing. You know, and like I, there are probably more important. There, are, there are. I'm, I'm certain there are way more important tips that people will hear. But it's just nice to have in your kind of in your yes. pocket as an option um, with no, no planning needed, yes. just a test, just a test of reliability. Um, and I think, yeah, that, that that's why I like it because it's just. It's a good. It's a, it's actually a good check of um, confidence because when it when it comes down to it, when they get scared and they realise like, oh my god, do I actually think this? The only thing they can fall back on is their logic and like the yes. the reasoning that's got them to there. So if they if they really understand the logic, then they should say yes, like that is my answer. Yes. And if they don't, then they don't understand the rest of it enough. And so that and that's fine. And you, it's not it's not one of those moments where you tell them off or like anything like that. But you it's it's a signal to you that the, they haven't understood it well enough. And if the class haven't picked up on it, you can sometimes the class, you know whether the class have understood because you can see them starting to like smirk or whatever, like just to themselves. <laughs> it's quite a funny moment. But um, if, if the rest of the class are just like, honestly like, hmm, don't really, is that the answer? Then, you know, like, and it's, it, as I say, it's not, a, it's not a foolproof, it's not checking for understanding, but it is testing reliability um, of a student in that situation. I love it, Sammy. Just one question on this. Um, I have a bit of a thing at the moment, and it, God, it's the most obvious thing in the world, but if you're asking a really good question, then you don't just want one kid to do the hard thinking. You want you want everybody to, to benefit from that question. And this applies to, to lots of different things. But it seems to me that this is a real powerful thing that you want every child to be benefiting from. So, okay, one child has said that the answer's three, and you've then said to that child, are you sure, is it? Is it really three? Are you going with that? How do you ensure that the rest of the class also benefit from that thinking? And it's not just a moment that's just happening between you and the child. Yeah, it's a really good question. I think a lot of, I mean, always when you specifically ask one student, there's a danger of this happening. Yeah. And it's about how you, like sometimes it can be physically just turning to the rest of the class, like just looking, like make eye contact with them and see like when you make eye contact with them, um, you're implicitly saying, what do you think about this? Yes. Um, and so, but, but it might also be like, sometimes if it's, if it's, uh, if you're genuinely not sure about whether or not they've, they've followed, it might be with, all right, talk about this in your groups kind of thing. Um, but I think you, you don't need to, it doesn't need to drag out. They'll, mm -hmm. they'll be engaged enough by the moment uh, that, um, just, just because it's, it's not par for the course, it's not a normal lesson. The, sudden, yeah. the teacher suddenly so so and, are you sure about that? That's gonna that's that's anything different to the norm in a lesson yeah. is more likely to grab their attention. I think, um, you know, you, you, the transformation in in their in kids' faces, it, like you can almost physically see it, even though you yes. you can't. You can when you start telling them a story about something. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's like it's like something like jolt. Like I'm so interested, um, and it's it's a kind of similar thing to that. Uh, it's not. This is not rigorous scientific sure. research and whatever. But it's. I think it's. It's still. It's still like. It's fine and uh, it's a handy tip. So yeah, it's, I think it's a brilliant tip. So just to clarify, sometimes may you formalise that, and it may be a case of right. Everybody have a think on your own. Jot it down on your whiteboards. Discuss. 
but but more often than not, you, you get the sense that that look will, and the moment itself will, will be. Enough. Yeah, I mean, with with the one with the one where like it's kind of dramatised. This is the way you look at it. Are you sure? Like that in that, yeah. But if if it's a mistake that a student's left on the like you've just written down their mistake on the board and you've tried to play it really cool, not change anything about yourself, yeah. and like if 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 only a few hands go up after a while, sometimes you go well beyond with it and you're like, right, I've, I've got to stop here because no one's put their hand up yet. Yes, and yes. I'm asking myself, what are we doing here? You turn it into a big learning point. You go like, right, there's a mistake on the board. Put your hand up when you've spotted the mistake. And yeah. you know, in a similar, you know, this is a really good one. You know, when I was saying, um, if you're doing like, try and get them to spot a pattern, you don't want someone to tell them. Yeah. Same for spotting a mistake. I think if, if a mistake's on the board, a really nice thing to do is just in silence, look at the board. And when you think you spotted a mistake, put your hand up. And then you get a gauge in the class for who thinks they've spotted a mistake, but then also they've got the space to think about it yes. and process it. And if and if if some of them had their hands up a while, you can be like, write it down and put a pen what you think this mistake is, or, yes. or whatever. Write down, write down, in, you know. So I think that you in those moments you can really turn it into a big event in the lesson. Um, so the less pantomime moments like that, then then you can. That is brilliant, Sammy. That is brilliant. Well, they are five absolutely fantastic tips. Um, I'll hand over to you. You were saying off off mic before we recorded. You don't have a book out or anything like that. Do you have anything to plug here, Sammy? What 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 should <laughs> listeners check out if they want to want to either learn more about you or the school, or is there anything else you want to direct anybody to to check out? Um, yeah, not not loads to be honest. I mean, you mentioned it. I like uh, there was that podcast I did with um, Ollie, which like. I wasn't. I wasn't going to say because it it's just a bit embarrassing, really, just to like say like go and listen to this thing that I was in. But if you actually like, if you like talk, hearing me just talk about like, like <laughs> rambling on about stuff that I do in my lessons, I did that podcast with Ollie, um, which is the E R R R podcast, um, which is pretty much what I think you invited me on this. Um, <laughs> so like, apart from that, no. Um, obviously, loads of people know loads more stuff about. All like all teaching than I do, um, and I know that half of them have been guests on your show, so or will be. So uh, yeah, um, not really. <laughs> oh, well, I tell you what, Sammy. As as I said to you off mic, and I put on Twitter, it was the that conversation was Ali was the best podcast I heard in 2021, and all I do in my life is listen to podcasts. So it was absolutely brilliant, and this again will be so well received. It's just been jam packed full of absolute gold. So um, Sammy, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. Thank you so much. Cheers, cheers, Craig. Thanks for having me.